Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another edition of Conquering Columbus. This is your co-host, Mike Minucci, and before the show today, I just wanted to remind you all to go ahead and take a look at your uh, podcast app that you're listening to this on. Check out our profile there. You're going to see a subscribe button. If you haven't hit that button yet, go ahead and press it now. It really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode from us. Before the show today, I want to take the time to thank all of our incredible supporters and friends. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. They're also huge supporters of Conquering Columbus and have over 4,500 applications developed with 10 million users enjoying AWH applications. They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you guys want to find out more about AWH, you can check out their website, awh.net, which will be linked down in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the story behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. I want to give one last shout-out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at ProcureClean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering CBUS code and you'll get 5% off any order. All right, guys, let's get this episode rolling. could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. 
Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus Live from the Crimson Cup Innovation Lab. Today on the show, we have CEO Greg Hubert, and I'm going to kick it over to Josh for an intro to Greg. Hey guys, for a little bit of background on Greg, he's a graduate of Harvard, and in 1991, he took the leap to start his own company and created Crimson Cup. Since then, the company has grown to be a national coffee brand and has businesses using their product in 29 states across America. Greg is also author of the book, Seven Steps to Success, which teaches readers all they need to know about opening their own coffee shop. Welcome to the show, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. How's your day going so far? It's uh, like, uh, thankfully, like most days, uh, love to be here. What does a typical day look like for you at this point in your career with Crimson? Uh, a typical day for me looks like uh, coming in, I have to have my coffee, right? So I have a pour-over coffee, one of our excellent coffees, um, high-point coffees, and uh, enjoy that. And then have, have meetings, typically, uh, with my team, and then look at uh, other opportunities where we might expand. So today, for instance, I was on the phone with a gentleman from Saudi Arabia, and uh, he's looking at... Uh, we're looking at franchising over there since we have a franchise in Bangladesh, and so international franchising might be an opportunity for us, but we're exploring that, and I love love to do those types of things. Yeah, it sounds exciting. So I, I definitely want to get into the business model of Crimson Cup and kind of dive more into details on those meetings and what the high-level strategy looks like at this point, but maybe to start, just a little bit of background for our listeners on um, maybe your childhood and then going into Harvard, and we can kind of, it's hard to patch up. 24 years, I'm assuming, into like, you know, five, 10 minutes, but just a general synopsis to kind of give them a general feel on um, how you got to where you are today with starting Crimson. Well, I'll give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> so growing up here in Columbus was uh, fantastic. Uh, it was, uh, I enjoyed it because what I remember most is uh, mostly sports, athletics. So I played football and baseball, mostly basketball, a little bit of wrestling guys, right? Mm -hmm. I know you guys are wrestlers. So uh, did a little bit of that, and uh, that was a lot of my childhood, right? It was a lot of sports, uh, enjoying what I was doing, had a great family, have a brother who's two years older and a sister who's 11 years younger, and it just really enjoyed uh, athletics, uh, friends from high school who I still have, we still get together, and uh, had a choice to, to, to go to college, thankfully, uh, and it turned out to be uh, Harvard. Harvard won that one. So, and the part of the reason was is obviously it's a great school. Um, the other part was that they were allowing me to play two sports, which football and baseball. So I wound up playing football and baseball at Harvard. And Harvard was a uh, very different experience for for me, just because Columbus, the way Columbus was back in the '70s and '80s, it really was not international at all. Uh, it was pretty much a meat and potatoes town and didn't get a lot of experience with other types of cuisines because there just wasn't around. Uh, different cultures really wasn't around much, save for maybe uh, OSU professors. Um, and then uh, had the opportunity to go to, go to Harvard where, you, where I was introduced to a whole bunch of different students. And I think that's really where the learning experience came from for me. I was an economics major. Uh, and I did learn quite a bit with that. Great teachers. Uh, most of them were on either uh, staffs at the White House, so that was pretty cool to have, uh, have, have some of those uh, professors there and teaching, uh, and they did, a, they did a very good job. I think the, most, the learning that I got was mostly from learning about different cultures from all the different people there. Uh, so that was fantastic. Moved to uh, Chicago. 
to uh, got into uh, computer software. Thought that might be something high tech uh, or the or was a financial for me. Uh, didn't want to uh, head to New York City for whatever reason, and decided to move back to the Midwest in Chicago, where I worked for a computer software company. Long story short, couldn't fall in love with computer software. Was looking for other things to do. Thought, you know, coffee could be one of those things because coffee drinking back then in 89 and the 80s, 90, 91, it was really hard to find great coffee. And thankfully, I was introduced to great coffee through my dad uh, back in, uh, it had to be like 87. And, and I said, wow, this is, this is good. I can actually drink this and enjoy it. Uh, where most of the coffee back then was purely a matter of how much can caffeine can I get into my body to wake up in the morning. So uh, I bet, you know, what I said is, geez, I bet you other people might think the way I do and maybe want to enjoy coffee in the future. Uh, and also I wanted to start a company where people were really excited and, about what they did because uh, I didn't have that experience in, in Chicago. Uh, there was probably... I don't know, probably 60, 70% of the people I would guesstimate that were disengaged at work, uh, which I hear today, it's about the same, and that's unfortunate. I didn't want to live my life that way. I wanted to really get up every morning, enjoy what I did. So that's the other part of the reason why I moved back to Columbus to start Crimson Cup. What were some of your roles at the computer software company? Were you doing like forecasting things for them, or were you doing programming? Or I was in uh, recruited for sales. So the uh, president at the time, his idea was to recruit Ivy League athletes to come in and be the next sales force. The problem was is that it hit a recession, and so uh, that kind of squashed all the plans on the, on the outside. So I was supposed to go into Chicago, learn for three to six months, and then I could have gone anywhere in the country. So I was thinking, geez, I'd like to go out to San Francisco, California, you know, L.A., Dallas, maybe. I didn't know, but Chicago was great. But I thought, I want to try another part of the country. Uh, But that all got, the plans just kind of dissipated after after the recession. So, uh, which was probably a good thing. After that, it was kind of interesting. You know, this was a $250 million company. And me and three other guys found uh, this opportunity for the company because, they weren't making money on maintenance. So we found an opportunity for them to make money. So we went to our, our boss at the time and said, look, if we bring in this money, will you uh, give us a commission on it? And he said, absolutely. Said, okay. So we took this huge computer paper, old days you guys probably don't know, but huge computer paper, divided it up into four, and then we just started calling these customers. And half the time, It'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I, I want, I, I don't know where you guys have been. I want that. And, and so we'd fax them, whatever, get them some paper. What were you guys selling? It was computer software. So it was for uh, mainframe uh, computers, help them be more efficient, basically. Um, and so selling to a lot of the major companies, AT&T, et cetera, et cetera, at, at the time. And uh, what I found was is that, you know, these large companies, quite frankly, uh, a lot of times don't know have a lot of money to spend and uh, all you got to do is present something properly and maybe you'll have a chance at, at selling that right and so you know after working there at the uh, software company you decided to leave and start your own business and 
I think I read one of the reasons that you were going down that path was you wanted to define what you wanted in a career and create a uh, company that, that did that for you and for others. So, how, I mean, at 23 years old, uh, I don't, you know, necessarily know exactly what I'm looking for in a career and maybe a lot of people out there also don't know. So how did you define what you wanted so well at uh, 23? And also even to add to that, something that I'm curious about is like a lot of people want to start their own company, but they don't know something that's going to be sustainable or, you know, a viable option. So kind of, it seems like such a quick path when everybody talks about, can you dive into more details, kind of like Mike asked, and then what was really going through your mind to take us through that? Sure. I, um, I wish there was a lot more to it. There, there maybe not as much as you might think. Uh, but uh, no, I, I did a little research, uh, went out to California. One of my buddies was going to Stanford Business School at the time. I spent a week going up and down the coast and really understanding because the coast, of course, kind of a little bit like today, might be a little ahead of, ahead of us in cuisine and some other things. And certainly coffee was one of those things, although coffee wasn't huge out there yet. Um, but I uh, happened into a um, roaster there and was enjoying my cup of coffee. And, and then I said, geez, this is something I could do for a long time. Uh, so the product, I said, I could really fall in love with this. I could get excited about this. That was important. Uh, I thought I could create an environment, possibly. I didn't know. I thought possibly people would enjoy coffee, as silly as that sounds today. You know, like right. doing something you enjoy doing, like drinking a wonderful cup of coffee. That just wasn't a prevalent thought back then. Um, so a lot of it was faith, you know, just kind of jumping out and saying, you know what, I can do it. And, and I think in my mind at the time was, you know what, if I fail, that's okay, right? That's okay. I'll learn something along the way. Uh, I'll, I'll be home. My, my parents are wonderful. They, they allowed me to uh, stay at home for a little while, uh, cooked for me and did all those types of things so that that way I could concentrate on growing the business. And I got to be with my sister, who's, uh, again, 11 years younger, so didn't get to spend a lot of time with my younger sister, so that was wonderful too. And so what is your your older sibling? Is that an older brother? Is that correct? You said the game. What he is, is he doing at this point? He is the, uh, he's done some great things. He, he, uh, he's CIO of, uh, Vitamix blenders right now. So we happen to use Vitamix blenders. Um, and we have for probably since the early nineties, but he happened, uh, upon you guys get there. a good deal on them? No, no, not at all. we get the family discount, which means we pay, probably pay more. <laughs> uh, and, uh, before that he was with Burton. I don't know if you guys are snowboarders. I'm so, familiar with the brand. But. So uh, unbelievable brand, uh, and uh, pe people who for people who snowboard. So he was CIO there. So he's done some said some really cool things. I, I always say that my brother and sister were much smarter than I was. Are they both go to Harvard as well, or do they go to? My brother went to Columbia. Okay. And then uh, uh, um, my sister went to uh, 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 St. Mary's, Notre Dame. When was your brother at Columbia? He graduated in uh, 87. That's like right around the time my dad would have been going to Columbia. I'll have to look at it. Really? That. Yeah. That's a funny story. My dad my dad also went to Columbia. So um, now I'm completely lost because I'm yeah, talking so, about Columbia. So, so, I, so I, wanna, I, I don't want to jump over the place too much, but sometimes I want to interrupt because I'm really curious, and I just don't want to. You're in such a good story mode. I kind of want to jump back to that. So one more thing before we move on. So what does your sister do now, just out of curiosity? My sister works for GE. Okay. 
so she's in supply chain management there. Uh, she was a math major, St. Mary's. Uh, and like I said, I said, uh, you know, my brother Kevin and uh, uh, my sister uh, are, are, are pretty smart. Mm-hmm. And then smart. your parents, just a brief overview. Parents are, uh, they grew up in Russell, Kansas. So Russell, Kansas is a very small town. I don't know if you guys have heard of Bob Dole. You remember mm-hmm. Bob Dole, Senator Bob Dole? Mm-hmm. So he grew up in uh, Russell, Kansas. And, and I remember uh, when I would travel back to Russell telling the story of, you know, Bob Dole got hurt in the war, uh, World War II, and passed around the c- cigar box to fill it up with money so he could get his surgery. So wonderful story, but great. You know, they were farmers, mm-hmm. um, not my parents, but my right. grandparents who, who moved over here from, uh, it's from Germany. Uh, and so that's where they're coming from. Okay, cool. And so I remember where I was going to go before I started getting talking about Columbia was, um, what did the early days of Crimson Cup look like? I mean, you first started out like, hey, how'd you source your product? What did you do um, to just kind of get the business off the off the ground? And even creating the business model. I mean, your degree was in economics, so you probably knew you know a viable way to kind of proceed to things. But did you know how to sit down and write your own business plan at that point, or? I did. I did. I, I had a, uh, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I, I got some, a very small portion of money. Uh, I built up some, some money at, at, at Pansophic, the computer software company that I worked at. Uh, so I didn't need a lot, need a lot of money to start, but I did go out and get uh, my dad, another a couple friends of my dad and, and who acted kind of as advisors. Um, and they helped helped me with kind of looking at the business and, you know, business plan and, and making sure I had that down. But the most part, uh, what I remember is just, um, like most entrepreneurs who start just long hours, long hours. So figuring out, you know, part of my day, a lot of my day would be calling on anybody, anybody who'd listen to me about specialty coffee or high grade coffee. Cause you know, I'd walk into places and, and they'd say, you do what? I said, well, I, uh, coffee. He said, oh, next question inevitably was, how much for your box of coffee? I said, well, I don't have a box of coffee. I have whole beans. They kind of looked at me quizzically like, I don't even know what that is, right? So showing them coffee, uh, coffee beans, was really interesting because most people had never seen it before. So calling on restaurants, calling on uh, uh, food service operations, um, offices. I mean, pretty much anybody who, who I could get to listen to me was uh, pretty much it. So that would be part of my day, or most of my day, uh, at least most of the working day. And then, you know, go to my uh, warehouse and uh, start roasting coffee. So you started bringing these beans in before you even sold any? Is that how that worked? Uh, I learned how to, learned how to roast on the, on the West coast. Yeah. So learned how to roast and then, uh, you know, would bring, would bring coffee in and, and, uh, I, I guess I would say I, I did the best I could with, uh, with roasting coffee and what I was taught in a, in a, in a few days. Uh, it was, it tasted pretty good back then. I'm sure nowadays if we brought those out and, and lined them up with what we're doing today with the high precision of what we have today, it probably wouldn't be so great, but it was, but it was really good for the time. So, so what does it look like once you, so you find a place to get these coffee beans from, you have them shipped to you, and then do you have a warehouse at this point, or are you just... I did. I have a 1,200-square-foot sh- uh, place. Okay. 
And uh, so I would uh, pretty much do the roasting at night. So I do remember roasting at night, and uh, there must have been smoke coming out. Well, there is smoke coming out when you roast. Uh, but somebody must have called it in. So I'm back roasting, and I, I have the music jamming because, you know, kind of mm-hmm. want to stay awake, have some fun. Uh, and uh, so by the roaster, and then all of a sudden, kaboom! The back door just just <laughs> comes crashing down, and these people in suits are coming in and the back door, and uh, they're firemen, right? And just crash the back door. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> And uh, I said, geez, guys, don't you knock? And they said, well, all the, all the doors were locked. And I knew the uh, fire chief uh, up there. He, he was great. But uh, they're not good door fixers. Remember that. Right? <laughs> they can knock down a door, but they're pro- not told how to fix the door. That I can tell you. <laughs> That's funny. So one moment I wanted to talk about, you know, that happened, I think, early on in, in Crimson Cup days is um, on the website I was reading about Armando in the mm-hmm. Omaha moment. And Armando's special blend is still a blend you guys use today. So... Can you tell us a little bit about that story and and uh, what kind of came about from meeting Armando? Yeah, that, that's uh, that was great. So Armando worked for the original. Um, uh, well, he trained the original owners of Starbucks. So the history of Armando goes back quite a bit. And at the time, the person he was working for in San Francisco was opening up stores, uh, coffee bars, the way kind of we know them today. So that was circa 1969. Armando started working for him in the uh, 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he, uh, he came to Columbus because they were opening up coffee bars in college universities. So that's when Armando came to Columbus. We had somewhat of a mutual uh, friend. So I went to see Armando one of the first days that he opened up at The Ohio State University and just kind of saw the coffee bar the way it is kind of today. Um, what I mean by that is there are a whole bunch of students, professors in line, and kind of there weren't many coffee bars around Ohio at the time, but if you, if you would go back in, if I could put you guys back in like 1991, 92, the line would be really slow because people just didn't know how to make drinks very quickly or efficiently, but not in his place. So I walked into his place, and I saw student professors, 20-some in line, go through the line in five minutes out the door, which is amazing even today, right? So lattes, mochas, right? Because most people back then were drinking drip or what we call batch coffee today. Uh, and to see the efficiency of that, that really got my mind going, saying, wow, that's really cool. Uh, so I went up, introduced myself to Armando. I said, how'd you do that? He said, how'd I do what? I said, how'd you put that many people through the line that fast? I just never seen anything like that before. And he just told me, he said, everything has its place. Everything's set up properly. My people are trained properly. The menus, uh, should be this way because this is the way people read a menu. So it's really a good lesson on the coffee business, right? Uh, well, all business, quite frankly, but the coffee business in particular, and so we um, got together, uh, Armando uh, came on board, and then we started teaching and training our customers this. So we, uh, you know, one of my passions is teaching, and uh, I love to teach, love to coach. And so it kind of melded with having a passion for great coffee and then the teaching aspect. So that's how I uh, really, that's the foundation of us beginning to start to teach, teach our customers how to be more successful. So when you saw Armando 
and this you said this is a coffee shop inside one of the universities, correct? Mm-hmm. So when you saw them doing it that way, did anything pass through your mind like, well, somebody's already doing it that way, I shouldn't, I shouldn't mimic that, or I shouldn't try to replicate this out, or was it? So I guess when I, what if I, if I saw somebody already doing it and mm-hmm. and it working for them, I would think, well, it seems like that idea has already been taken. But for you, you said, well, I can just take this and just spread it all over Columbus. Is that was that your thought process? I think it was to spread it all over, right? Uh, all over, meaning as far as I could reach. Because in the 90s, I was traveling uh, all over. I was traveling from like Omaha to you know Maine just to try to get in as much information as I could about the coffee houses and what they were doing and what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And you know, I just enjoy learning and observing and seeing what people, other people are doing. So in this particular case, um, oh, I, I think that's a great way to learn is to see what some people are doing that maybe could be replicated, right, in other areas. And uh, so that's what we did because we wanted strong customers. Because also what I realized back then is um, a lot of entrepreneurs maybe were doing things that were hurtful to their business, but they just didn't know. And for us to be the strong business, Crimson Cup, uh, if we could have strong customers, uh, that would mean that we would be strong too. So that's why we continually do what we do today in far as not only providing great and innovative products and uh, the teaching aspect. So what did the what did Crimson Cup look like before Armando kind of paint? So we went from the warehouse where we were roasting by ourselves, kind of made a jump to meeting Armando. I'm gonna mess up his name one of these times. Um, and then, so what did it look like before and after that transition? I think before and after, I, I really, um, my thing was, I, I just didn't know what we were great at, right? That's really the thing. And, and you already so had shops open then? I didn't have any shops open. For some reason, I don't know why, we were really, I was really focused on the wholesale piece and not the retail piece. Um, I didn't get into the retail uh, space. You know, Crimson Cup owned and operated stores till much later. I think that's another great future opportunity for, for us is growing our Crimson Cup retail stores. Um, however, back then, it was, um, you know, I can't tell you why I focused on, on, on the wholesale piece. I just thought that, you know, the roasting end and, and doing that was something that um, just people really hadn't, hadn't, hadn't found. So educating or at least showing people, hey, there's something new, something different, was something that I enjoyed. And the wholesale uh, piece was bring it in, roast it, sell it directly to them. That's right. So the wholesale piece would, would be uh, meeting customers from all over. Again, just a, a huge variety of customers, right? And, um, and then roasting, uh, supplying them. At that point in the 90s, we did have like syrups, sauces, stuff that was starting to come along in the, in the coffee industry, right? So and the way the coffee industry has evolved. I mean, I remember uh, for Armando, you know, dropping him off. I used to carry 50-pound barrels of chocolate into his store because he, you know, he used ground chocolate. Uh, and that's what coffee houses did back then. You know, they made their own chocolate in there because there wasn't these sauces now, which makes it easier, quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, however, there's, you know, there's a little bit of trade-off there, right? So he was making it. So I, you know, that's part of what I was doing is not only roasting on the sales end and also delivering, right? So I was kind of doing, doing all those types of things. 
Right. And so from that point, um, you know, after you met Arbondo, how did the business grow from there? Kind of bring us to maybe, you know, early 2000s going through uh, as the business grows to when you first opened up your first retail shop. Right. So the uh, again, what I was doing was just telling our, our story at that point to as many people as possible. I do remember being in a show uh, in the late ni- late 80s, excuse me, late 90s. Uh, where I was just kind of walking around in different, um, different. well, there were coffee roasters, just asking them what it is that they did. And inevitably the answer would be, well, we, we roast the best coffee, we have the best service. And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, we, we bring in coffee and we roast it and then we supply it to our customers. And uh, at that point, uh, that had to be kind of circa maybe 1997, uh, I realized what our strength was. You know, not only could we have these great products and we teach, right? So the teaching aspect is something still today really don't find a lot of. I mean, you might find people that, you know, do some aspect of that and more and more people are doing some of that. But back then, certainly uh, it was more, I would say business was a lot more transactional. Still a lot of today too but for us bought on price more than anything uh, yeah i mean just uh, you know i'm going to supply you a product and you're going to buy it from me and that is a great relationship you know i think relationship uh for us that's kind of at the core of what we do so to us you know that's that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but we wanted something much uh deeper than that and that's what training and teaching and training so you can really foster continue a great relationship uh, that's what that's what that the teaching and training aspect. That's what it means to us is growing a, a strong relationship. So can you talk a little bit about that teaching and training them? When you were going to these customers, and you were landing them. They probably owned what multiple coffee shops. Is that correct? Most of them were one at the time, okay. so they'd own one. And then you go and in. yeah, and, and they would. Uh, um, you know, again, I think a lot of business owners want to uh, want to expand their business. What I found is not everybody wants to expand their business back then, which was really interesting to me. So I didn't focus on them. I wanted to focus on the ones who really wanted to learn and grow. And so uh, I would say, you know, just do some very simple things initially and say, look, have you thought about this or how about this? I'd show them something and and, uh, they'd get pretty excited about it. So one of the major things back in the 90s was people here in Columbus did not believe that people in Columbus or our business owners in Columbus did not believe their customers wanted espresso based drinks. They didn't want lattes mochas. That's what I was told on and on and again. I said, look, it's coming. You let's get ready. You know, and there's only a few that uh, made that jump. Uh, and they were the ones that were really successful. Of course, when they were, then we could flip it. And so we always look for how can we get some because some of the trends that we see, not only back then, but today, you know, we want to prepare our customers for so that way that they're prepared for the future and prepared uh, to continue to grow. Right. And then you also, you know, you have a book out there called The uh, Seven Steps to Success, correct? And, um, you know, people can, anyone can buy the book mm-hmm. and they don't have to use your advice to the full extent. But, um, what exactly does the book entail, and how much of it really relies on Crimson Cup coffee? I think, uh, well, I mean, there's seven steps. It, it goes through, uh, you know, location. So we'll, the, 
a lot of people have, have different ideas on location is what I found or where they want to put something. Um, and there's sometimes a lot of emotional attachment there that some people are emotionally attached for whatever reason to a location and kind of maybe talking them out of it. There's a lot of steps along the way. That's one of them, right? And then the next one is, you know, well, equipment, how to lay out a store, the marketing aspects, the customer experience piece. I mean, there's obviously you guys know there's a lot of aspects of the business that need to be functioning very well. And, you know, you take one of those seven steps out and, you you know, you can do all the others pretty well, but you're never going to be as successful as you potentially could have been. And so those are the things that we wanted to share with our customers or people who are thinking about getting into a uh, coffee bar, right? That's what we wanted to share with them and continually share with them, uh, just share our experience, share what we know, uh, so that way they can make a decision, right? We're not a franchise here in the United States, so they can do whatever it is that they want. It's our job just purely to inform and say, look, here's, and show them economically too, hey, here's what you can do. Here's what you, you should be able to produce these results if you do this. And we'll continue to share that with them. So. so just to like kind of pave a path in my head and for anybody listening. So we started off and we were pretty much being a wholesale distributor. Um, and you started providing this advice and you're almost acting as a consultant for these different coffee shops and helping them kind of grow if they wanted to grow or at least become better mm-hmm. and more efficient what they were doing. And then what's really cool is that you, you found a way to scale yourself because it was almost like you were the business, it sounds like, at that point. Was this book the way to kind of scale yourself and, and um, branch it out to multiple and larger scene? Yeah, this, this book uh, was really important because the coffee house market segment for us is still our largest market segment. And uh, what it did was it, 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 it made it easier uh, and much more clear for us to find the right partner. Because before, there was, it was a, a lot of questions, and, and people would ask certain things, and it, it was really kind of convoluted until we really got the book and kind of showed them, look, here's the program. We'd love to, love to, to have you on board if you want to. And then, you know, so we got much, much better with pick, picking our customers and our customers picking us. Uh, and that frees up time. Right, so that frees up time to do other things. So, some of the other things that, uh, of course, that we got into were other market segments more fully. So, you know, if you talk, especially retail or grocer or college university, uh, you know, other market segments, uh, then that allowed us to, to to get into the other market segments. So the content from the book was a lot of was Armando a big help in that to kind of because at that point you had never run your own coffee shop had you were just distributing these and seeing what they were doing were you just realizing what's working and what wasn't it? That's right. So uh, so and then we just got better and better at at teaching the seven steps right until uh, we are innovating on a whole bunch of products and using our customer stores in the two thousands and it got really difficult. Uh, to do that just because you know business owners are busy with their own business uh, they enjoyed trying our new products but quite frankly we need another uh, store our own store to test that so that's part of the reason why Clintonville opened that was our first store in 2008 and uh, so we just used that as a testing facility tried a whole bunch of different things like the hot chocolate freeze uh, that's a, a drink that we uh, came up with. There's uh, and then multiple others. I mean, today, 
uh, we're, we're trying all sorts of different things on our, our slow bar, so hand-poured coffees, uh, different things with our nitrogen-infused coffees, which we got national recognition for a few years ago. Uh, there's just a, uh, different bar drinks that we're doing there, no alcohol, but coffee bar drinks and tea drinks and tea on tap, coffee on tap is really cool. So those continue to be, and then Upper Arlington came after that a couple years ago. And then uh, what it's come to with our retail stores is I love them. You know, I think it's great. You get immediate customer feedback, kind of see what's working, what's not. I think we really do, We since we're doing so many great things here at our innovation, like my folks are doing fantastic with making uh, high-point coffees, uh, um, and we'll be able to share more of that and in, in immediately in our in our in our coffee crimson cup coffee houses down the road. So I just want to dive back one more time into talking about um, when you were giving these people these advice and these seven steps. How were you getting the feedback from them? Were they telling you like, "Hey, this"? And then was there anything that didn't work? Did you give them advice? And they came back and said, "Hey, Greg, this didn't work for us." And then you kind of took that and evolved on it, or were you seeing their numbers or? How did that go? You know, if, if, if customers can share as much as they want to, right, and we allow that, right, they don't have to share what it is. Uh, but, you know, the way to grow the relationship, a lot of our customers do and have no problem doing that just because of the relationship because they know that we're in it for them. So that's just the way it, it, it it's worked, right, And because uh, they know that we love small business owners because it's very hard. Uh, and certainly writing the book, I wanted to give them and uh, give them a support that maybe I didn't have coming here, right? So the support system that would allow them to ask people questions immediately and get answers fairly immediately, allow, uh, allow them to work on their business so that that way they wouldn't have to look out and see, geez, what should I, should I be doing? Because we can do that here. So we still do that for our customers, look out. Um, so it was... Uh, you know, just like anything else, it's it's been an evolution, and and so those years in 2000 uh, and on has just been a continual, just like today, just continual learning, continual helping. Did some of our ideas fail? Uh, I'm sure of it, absolutely, 100%. Right? I mean, that's that's just the way of innovation um, and trying different things. But here's why I wanted to do our store. Because I wanted to, to fail on me, not them, right? So that's still how we use our stores is we'll test things out there on us. So, for instance, if, we're, uh, if we think we have a better formulation of whatever, you know, we'll try it at a coffee house. And then we'll get immediate feedback, right? So they'll tell us. They're not shy. That's a beautiful thing, <laughs> right? They're not shy, which is great. And uh, so they'll tell us right away. And so that allows us, Josh, to to make sure that whatever it is that we do, that we're putting out the proper stuff. Because So we're not in a rush. When we come up with a new product, there is no rush to get it out there. Our thing is, look, let's make sure it works. And if it works, then we can say to a customer, guess what? Here's our experience. And if you do these similar things, then you should have some pretty good success too. So that's how we've we've done it, uh, and 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 that seemed to work pretty well for us and our customers, uh, so that they don't. Uh, the last thing we want to do is put them in a hole, right? Right. Absolutely. So I think that's a pretty good uh, kind of synopsis of almost of what Crimson Cup looks like today. 
What's the future look like? The future is is exciting. You know, it's uh, the way coffee has evolved from the box of coffee, right? <laughs> to now, you're talking about you know point coffees like coffee's being graded, much like or you can't have coffee graded, much like wine, and from an independent advisor. Uh, so that's fantastic. Uh, there's uh, that's part of the reason, part of the way we won Roast of the Year in 2016, and I love that piece of it because. The first part of it was submitting a, a thesis on our business, basically. You know, how do we work with our farmers? How do we work with our customers? How do, what do we do internally with our cuppers here? And uh, that allowed you to get to the next stage. So the next stage, uh, and this is any roaster in the United States, and I hear, hear there's some from, I think there was Singapore, maybe Korea was in there too, so it's become a national, uh, global award. Um, but the next step after you passed that was, and I thought highly of you, I guess, is, all right, send us your three best coffees. So we sent our three best coffees to four different locations around the country, and we won that. So that's pretty cool. Now, why is that? So it's the precision, right? It's how we roast our coffee. It's how we bring in coffee because uh, we can get very specialized with coffee, like down to, you know, the farmers making five bags, ten bags, and we can – access that we can get that's pretty exclusive right and and we can do that as well as make it great so uh my roaster uh he can uh cook the coffee basically extremely well really well so no different than a chef right i mean some chefs can really make something outstanding if if i were given the same ingredients as as a as a fantastic chef, I'm sure I would come up with something that wasn't so great, right? So it's the same thing with coffee. And so the precision of what it is and how it is that we want a coffee to taste, I mean, the coffee has to be good to begin with, but we can make it taste a lot better. Do you just have one roaster on staff then? Uh, we have a, several roasters, but here at the Innovation Lab, so we have another, this is one of our buildings, the other building um, down the street is uh, uh, contains our you know mass production roasters or you know our roasters where you're you know doing more than just sample roasting uh, and so we have roasters there the roaster here is more the chef right so he's the one that takes it and and takes a coffee that's very good and then makes it makes it great so, uh, and that's our facility here. We have other people that, uh, uh, well, one of, our, one of our guys is a Q grader. So that's a top qualification in, in coffee. And it means that he has an unbelievable palate, right? So he's on staff and there's not many, very many Q graders in the world, but, but he's one of them. So we have that here. And uh, uh, the, 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 what's also happening, what I love, the most probably is how close we're getting to the farmers. So you know, back when I started, there 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 wasn't um, I don't know there wasn't a, a thought process, and, and I didn't have at the time because I was trying to run a business, right? Of where is this coffee coming from? I knew where it was coming from, but I didn't know exactly where it was coming from. So. We just had some uh, uh, some of our Guatemalan farmers in last a couple weeks ago, and uh, this was the first time. These are fourth generation coffee farmers. Um, they have never seen where their coffee is being brewed. 
ever. Their families talked about it for a long time, but we brought them up here uh, a couple of weeks ago to Columbus, right? And so we took them around to some places that are serving their coffee, and they were just proud, right? They're proud people. Uh, and they they just thought that they, they, they said, it was an emotional time. I mean, they said that they this was the best day in their lives, except for their kids being born, right? right. Pretty good, you know, <laughs> not too bad. But it was because we, we, uh, we're going to work with them very closely, and we have been. So we love participating in our coffee-growing communities because most of the coffee that we buy is extremely high ground up in the mountains. And what they're lacking is access, access to markets. So it's not like here, right? If we make a product, we could probably find somebody to buy it, right? Mm-hmm. Not, with not too much difficulty. There, it's different. So they need access. So we've given them access. And uh, so we're going to be buying coffee from them for, for, for a while, and which will allow them to produce better coffee to focus on the farming. And uh, probably the, the most wonderful thing that uh, for me was that they said they can keep their family together. So instead of migrating to the States, because they don't know. I mean, coffee prices, you just don't know. And they've never been able to plan. And so now they can plan and keep their family together. So pretty fantastic. So I love that part of it. And we'll just continue to do more and more and more of that, right? Because I think it's important to do. Uh, it's the right thing to do. And also it allows us to create those relationships um, um, not only here with our customers throughout the country, but all over the globe. So what kind of separates you from, I mean, there's probably hundreds of thousands and millions of coffee producers and distributors out there um, from the way that you guys approach different coffee shops and kind of uh, sell your value proposition to the way that you guys approach the farmers in your relationship with them. Um, how does that differ from what other people are doing out there? Well, I, I um, you know, everybody has their own uh, worldview and how it is that they see the world, right? And... Um, you know, we probably probably see it different than than they do, and it doesn't make us any better or any worse. It's just that we see it through relationship, right? We see it through how can we build strong relationships, and that's what we want to continue to do, and uh, uh, in order to foster you know wonderful things like we're doing in coffee producing countries with with uh, with certain farmers, and then also uh, growing people here. I think. You know, continual training for our cuppers here is uh, something that we must do because that's what I that's was my one of my original intents. Right. Was to have a place where people were really excited to come into work. And uh, thankfully, I, I, I believe we we have that here, but we want to continue it. And so that's going to continue to take the, the work that we put in and uh, continue to do that also with our customers, too. So I think that that's just the way we look at it. Uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things in the coffee industry. We're, we're one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's the beautiful thing about the opportunities that we have here in the States is you can, you can do. You can be who you want to be. You can do the things that it is that, that you think are right, right? Pretty cool. And so I guess... Just to elaborate on it a little bit more, and maybe I'm just missing it, like what does the exact relationship look like with a coffee shop today um, as opposed to has it changed over the years to what you guys are actually doing today if it's not your own store? 
I think the relationship is, uh, is, is pretty much the same, right? I mean, it's, it's strong. Uh, and it's strong, uh, let me give you an example. So, um, and this is partly different worldview too. So I was at the fine Ohio State University talking to a student. This was a little while ago. Uh, and he goes, uh, he goes to me, Greg, you, you can't do that. And I said, what, what, do, what do you mean? He goes, you, you can't, you should be a franchise. I said, why is that? He goes, well, then, then you can, you, you know, you can have them make sure that they're following exactly what it is that you want them to do. And by the way, you can't trust people. We have a different worldview, right? And so ours is based on relationship. Now, in a relationship, you have to continue to grow, grow together. For instance, if I were not to talk to my wife for six months or something like that, it wouldn't be so great, right? The relationship would probably fall apart. No difference that we view it in the business world, right? So we have to continue to get better. It was something that I put in place, and I knew what I was getting into because we do. It, this is a legitimate question that people ask me. Greg, you should be a franchise here in the States um, because uh, the implied message was we could like, make a lot more money. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. That's a possibility. But it also meant that we're supplying a lot to our customers and helping them a lot. Right. And that's OK. Right. So I put us in the Crimson Cup in the position that we have to get better. Because they can leave. There's nothing holding them to us. Nothing. You know, they could all leave tomorrow. So it's built in that we have to get better. Right. We probably would anyway. But it is built in that we have to get better or we'll lose our customer base. We have to continue showing them in a new innovative products. We have to continue, you know, this facility is one reason for why we built it is for our customers because they want to come in and, and learn, continue to learn and grow. So we needed a facility that would, would be great, something that they could come in and really enjoy. Um, and uh, so that's how kind of set up the company. So it's continual, right, just like any other relationship, really at least that I'm familiar with, that's strong. Definitely. I think kind of on a similar note here as we start wrapping up the show, um, the theme for our podcast, the kind of the model we, we use and the question we ask our guests every, uh, every show is um, our theme is live uncomfortably because we feel like you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations every day in order to continuously improve. So what do you think of the phrase and how do you live uncomfortably here at Crimson Cup? Living uncomfortably. Well, I think that's that's a that's a that's a great slogan, right? And uh, it's something that um, you know the way I look at it is I look at it going way back is if I don't get the funny look, like if somebody doesn't look at me funny, like what are you doing, Hubert? <laughs> what in the world are you thinking about? Because when I opened up Crimson Cup, when I told people I was getting into coffee, they thought I was nuts. I mean, most people thought it was absolutely crazy. How could you get into coffee? That is not a business, a total commodity business. It's not going to be anything but ever. So that's what I look for, right? So when I don't get those looks, that's when I know that I need to get those looks. So what do I have to do to get those looks? You know, and, and that means exactly living uncomfortably, right? Because I'm okay with the looks. I was okay with the looks back then. You know, and I'm okay with the looks now. And I like to get the looks, 
right? Because that means I'm pushing, and people are like, man, I, I, that's weird, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is that they're thinking. Maybe much worse things than that. I don't know. But, you know, that's what I want, right? And, and that's what certainly I encourage my folks, and that involves failure, of course, no problem, should be there. Um, however, the, the look is, is what I'm after, uh, and, and that's uh, something that hopefully will continue to happen. Maybe we can get it trending, the look. The look. <laughs> Hashtag the look. So um, kind of just maybe one or two final questions I want to wrap up with. What does the organization look like today in terms of employees? And uh, like you said, I want to get back a little bit to kind of what your daily role looks like in terms of strategic you know, approach and, and what you do on a daily basis. Even in your leadership meetings that you had this morning, what do those look like? Uh, those look like, so our, our organization is uh, you know, both on the wholesale end, and the retail end, we have uh, 48 employees right now in both. And uh, so we have our, you know, operations, uh, which I told, which I said is a billing, um, uh, billing that we have where we have all our shipping, receiving inventory, our um, uh, roasting and all, uh, roasting facility and all that. And then we have this building here, which is where all the business development and marketing is housed. So this is kind of the sexy area you guys are in, right? The, and, and they're the blockers and tacklers, right? That stuff, I mean, they're wonderful, the, the stuff that has to get done, right? And, and then on the retail side, too, I mean, I, I've, I've really grown to like the retail side because there's, uh, there's hardworking people there and doing, doing a fantastic job. Uh, so, you know, kind of that's what a little bit of our organization looks like for me. Um, just making sure that, you know, I have to make sure that cuppers are growing, right? I have to make sure that we're bringing on the right people. Um, and that has been a challenge uh, in, in the past for me. That's a knock. That's a knock, you know. So hopefully we've, we've uh, corrected some of those things uh, because we want to bring on people that are like us, right? And, and that's what we need to continually to do. Um, leaders. Uh, it doesn't matter, right? Uh, packaging coffee for us, roasting coffee for us. Uh, we need people who are more like us, who enjoy, want to have fun, uh, want to give back. think giving back is very important and also want to achieve too, right? The achievement part is sometimes the hardest part, right? Is, is really going out there and putting yourself out there, right? Because in order to get better, you got to do some things different. Right? You have to do some things different, and that's probably the hardest part um, is, is, is on the achievement side, right? Definitely. And I think it's a great place to end, Greg. We really appreciate having you on the show. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I think the guests will get a lot out of this episode. Um, is there anything you, you want to say uh, to the people of Columbus? I love Columbus. It's part of the reason why I moved back, you know, Mike and Josh, what you guys are doing is uh, really fantastic, really is, you know, uh, doing something outside of, of your normal uh, workspace and getting out and meeting a lot of people and then being able to share that with Columbus, because again, Columbus is fantastic. I mean, you've heard a lot of people say that, and it's true. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of today's episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and our time with Greg Hubert. We think you had a lot of great things to say. We hope you learned a lot from it. If you enjoy Conquering Columbus, go ahead and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Like us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram. And share us with your friends. Every little bit helps get the uh, word out. And we appreciate every one of you guys that tune in every week to listen to us talk. 
before we let you go, we got to give one last shout out to all the people who make Conquering Columbus happen. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. They're also huge supporters of Conquering Columbus and have over 4,500 applications developed with 10 million users enjoying AWH applications. They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you guys want to find out more about AWH, you can check out their website, awh.net, which will be linked down in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the story behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. I want to give one last shout-out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at procureclean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering CBUS code and you'll get 5% off any order. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of today's episode. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.